Welcome to the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders to talk about their industry passions and challenges they are facing. I'm data science Donnie from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help connect businesses with top data science talent, and I'm your host today. I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests today to talk about a topic of women in tech, the path less traveled. Now, before we dive deeper into this topic, let's make our way around the room for some introductions. We'll start with you, Jordan. Hi, my name is Jordan Hagen. I'm the VP of Data Science at Orderly Health. Uh, we're a pre-Series A startup. And kind of how I got here, a little bit about my journey is um, it's a pretty unconventional path. I, my degree's in public health, and I kind of just applied to everything that had health in the title when I graduated. So I graduated in the peak of uh, the 2008 housing collapse. And so I was just going to take any job that came to me, and I ended up with a health analyst position. Um, and it was doing Medicare Part D fraud. And I was like, you can catch um, criminals with data? <laughs> like, <laughs> sign me up for it. And so that like just brought my love of healthcare together. I didn't know I had a love of data until that time I learned um, SAS on the job. They got me training there and it kind of just catapulted me into this space. I uh, did a lot of DBA roles, went back for a data science boot camp actually in 2017 um, to add on to my data analytics DBA type knowledge and loved it. So I went out and consulted in data science for a while. And then I was like, um, what can, where, where can I go back into healthcare? I, I missed it after consulting for some time. Um, and so went back, found a small startup where I felt like I could have an impact and, uh, made my home here. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jordan. Uh, Michelle, uh, how about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having us on, by the way. Um, but yeah, so my name is Michelle Yi. Uh, I am currently co-founding a stealth AI startup. Um, but how I got here, I think is a big conventional, maybe with a few unconventional aspects. So uh, maybe the fun fact is that I started my uh, journey in AI in the corporate world at the age of 16 because I skipped high school. But my academic oh, wow. background, yeah. <laughs> but my academic background is in computer science, um, and I kind of started with uh, spending eight years in R&D at IBM Watson, and then I moved to spend another several years in consulting before. Uh, embarking in the startup world where I just love the agility and the ability to have an impact, as Jordan also said. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Michelle. And Sarah? Thanks for having me on, Danny. My name is Sarah Mazur. I am the federal CTO of LunchDarkly. We are a SaaS company that's currently number 34 on the Cloud 100. And we allow people to change the way their features behave in software using something called feature toggles. So kind of like a light switch, turning things on and off, which is external to your application. I've been an engineer all my life. I was a computer engineer from Michigan and wanted to do hardware chip design, which I did for a while at Intel Corporation out in Silicon Valley. And then I was exposed to people working with me in the field and decided that's kind of cool to actually get out from behind a desk and go and meet with people face to face. So I've been in technical solutions ever since then and really enjoying it. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Sarah. And finally, she. Thanks, Sonny, for having me. I'm Shi Palazzolo. I'm the technical co-founder of Sunrise AI, also an AI solution company backed by AI funds. Also, Dr. Engineering is one of our co-founders. Um, our solution, uh, our mission is to help uh, equitize capital access for all. And a little bit about my background, I started from a non-traditional way. I have my background in veterinary medicine, 
and practiced as a vet for a year and decided to go to graduate school to study epidemiology. And that's how I got into learning SAS, all the fun stuff about doing public health related stuff and how I got into data science. So I spent quite some time in healthcare insurance industry and that's pivot to doing consulting, get to work with a lot of different clients across different industry and went to um, software company because I want to learn more about how can I actually build a data science based software. And then after that, I started my journey in startup world, wanted to um, increase my impact in the smaller company and also have more influence on how we build the culture and define our core values. And it's very excited to be here. Well, thank you so much. Now, thank you very much for those introductions. Um, I would love to start this episode by sharing some statistics that I found online. Now, uh, this is actually from a Tech Funnel uh, article, and uh, here are some of the, I guess, key insights that I found quite interesting. Uh, gender diversity in tech leadership fell from 86% in 2020 to 59% in 2021. Uh, in uh, female representation in tech workforce in 2022 is up slightly more than 2% points from 2019. And then uh, 57% of women in tech feel burned out at work compared to 36% of women. Uh, then we've got only 10% of women working in the technology role work in a female majority team. And of that, 46% of women of color founders uh, who were harassed were harassed by a potential investor, which I thought was very interesting, especially for this uh, particular episode. We have so many startup founders and uh, members of a startup community. And then last but not least, uh, women in their 20s are increasing the female presence in the tech workforce. Uh, women in their 20s constitute for around 40% of all candidates in this age bracket which I found very interesting and a, a nice starting point for today's uh, discussion. Now, um, I think a perfect question to start us off with is how did you navigate things like gender bias, lack of representation, and lack of areas of leadership opportunities? Now, um, let's kick this off with Michelle. Yeah, I don't know. Wow, loaded question <laughs> because uh, I think there's so many different um aspects and angles to this i'm i guess Absolutely. i'm yeah i mean I, the first statistic you mentioned is quite shocking to i think you said 80 percent to something like 50 percent for leadership roles um mm -hmm. and i also exactly. yikes yeah um i guess i have seen that myself and maybe that's also part of a reason many of us decide to do startups also right because we kind of want to build something different and um, create those opportunities so i guess one comment that I might make here in terms of how to navigate. And I, I think it also depends too, like where you are stage-wise in your career, like there's different tactics for, you know, early career to mid to senior. Um, but give, yeah, but given that statistic, I guess, um, you know, like as, as you start to kind of um, navigate further through the chain, like I always think no matter where you are, there's ways to kind of forge your own opportunities, whether that is, um, you know, seeking, partnerships, mentors, or connections, or just like going to meetups and uh, like basically building your network. Um, or if it's as radical as like, hey, maybe I just want to start something on my own. So I guess that's one thing that helped me get through a lot of the bias was just to, even if it's really tough, um, find ways to make opportunities out of challenging situations. Yeah. 
Thank you very much for that, uh, Michelle. Sarah, uh, would you have anything to share about this uh, particular question? Sure. Uh, I've been in the industry for almost 30 years now, and I've seen a lot. I think that I had an unusual path, which might not be the expectation right after school, and that I think a lot of people that are just graduating are expecting to continue moving up through the career ladder and potentially disappointed when that doesn't happen. And what I see most of the time is that your ladder just isn't straight up and down. It's a lot of lateral moves and you kind of have to go with the flow. And even being with a startup, you have to be very adaptable. And so, you know, I think that it's good not to get frustrated and give up. In tech, it's just, it's a journey and part of the process is learning along the way how to handle that journey. Um, so many changes in tech. I mean, just since the uh, being here at my current company, I've had three managers in three years. So yeah, there might be times where you don't like working with somebody and you have to figure out how to work with difficult people. And it makes that better interview answer later on, you have a story to tell on how you were successful. So um, I think there's definitely gender bias. There's definitely difficulties being a woman and succeeding. Um, and I think the biggest strength that you could have is just persistence. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Sarah. And how about yourself, Jordan? Um, one of the things that this actual conversation reminded me of in your statistics was um, I think it would be remiss to not ruminate over the idea that a, a decrease in leadership, um, at least personally, and I am willing to acknowledge my own bias on this, is in large part due to one being a little bit later in your career and two being a mother, like during the pandemic. <laughs> like I speak as as a mother of a four year old myself, like the last three years haven't been easy um, in trying to maintain my career. My husband's a uh, director of engineering, so we both work in tech. Um, and, and figuring out how we were going to support our daughter through that, we, we, I thought about, like, is it worth stepping away from my career right now to be at home with her, to be hands-on with her? And, and I think more times than not, it was the woman that chose that to step down. Um, and oftentimes, just because I think we're waiting a little bit longer in life to have kids, that tends to be someone in their mid-30s that makes that choice versus someone in their 20s, they're, they're less forced with that choice. And so I wonder if that had anything to do with it, but I, I know that's what I ended up thinking of. And so I think just one way to reduce that bias is to support mothers in our workforce, for sure. Absolutely. And that was a very good insight. You're thinking like a data scientist. <laughs> <laughs> if I can ever stop thinking like a data scientist, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But that's why you are where you're at. Uh, now, she, what, what would you have to add to that uh, first question? There's so many good perspectives here. I really love your, uh, uh, Jordan, your perspective bringing in as a mom in the workforce. I feel like that is potentially a cause of why there's not enough representation of women in leadership. And I definitely echo both Michelle and Sarah, your perspective too. I think one of the ways that I navigate through um, the workforce trying to move up the ladder, quote unquote, is to voice my where I want to be and what I want. And as I grow older and older, I feel like I need to do that more and more and do not feel um, embarrassed or don't feel like be brave to voice what you want. I feel like that is some the difference between a female, especially because I sometimes talk to my husband when it comes to salary negotiation, that negotiate for things that I want. Sometimes I feel like 
oh, maybe I should just take whatever they offer me. So I feel like um, one of the ways to navigate is definitely voice what you want and be assertive in the room. Um, and the other one is definitely look for partners or sponsorship with mentors within or without, outside of the company. Oh, great. Thank you very much for that, Shi. Now, Sarah, you mentioned something that I really enjoyed that I was writing down is motivation, staying motivated, uh, whether that's internally of knowing exactly where you want to go, like she mentioned, uh, voicing that and, you know, staying the course and not letting anything deter you. Uh, but I am curious to hear about, because all of you are from different journeys and backgrounds, uh, what were some of the ways that you used to stay motivated, uh, to make sure that you were in a good headspace and didn't let some outside influence or things that ultimately you cannot control, uh, you know, dictate, you know, how you were living your day to day. Now, I'll give it right back to you, Sarah, since you brought it up. So um, can you hear me? OK, perfect. No. OK. Um, yeah, a little bit of computer problems. So if I cut out, uh, just warning you, I'll rejoin. Um, so, yeah, I think that staying motivated. Uh, one way that you could do that is just find uh, value in what you do day to day. So as an engineer, it's hard to sometimes tie what you do to something other than the bottom line of the company. And so if you can find a way to make it meaningful to you, um, join a company that has kind of dual goals of, you know, some sort of, you know, benefiting society as well as making a profit and just and that that can keep you motivated in difficult times. Also, just find champions, find mentors and peers that you can work with. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Sarah. Michelle, how did you uh, stay motivated as you navigated your uh, journey to a founder at a startup? Yeah, I think uh, one thing that I, I wish I had done better, actually, in terms of understanding my own motivations, like I wish I'd done that better early in my career. Um, I think early on, you know, you are more influenceable, <laughs> like, you know, because you're surrounded by more senior people or very um, well-established, you know, published authors, like very prestigious folks. And sometimes you feel like you may not have as much to contribute. So um, I think early on understanding my intrinsic motivations and the fact that it changes over time. So like first I thought, hey, I just want to be really, really technical working at IBM Research. I want to be, you know, like an author on papers and like all this. And then realizing later that actually what I really enjoyed or started to enjoy was working with people and seeing adoption of AI solutions. So I think like just having that understanding of yourself will help you better um, recognize your motivations internally versus sort of like, oh, maybe my manager says I need to go for that next level title or, you know, other factors like that. Thank you very much for that, Michelle. Uh, Jordan, how do you stay motivated as you've navigated your career? Um, I think the big thing for me was actually I just ended up switching it up a little bit. Um, maybe along the same lines of Michelle, I I didn't really stay in one place for too long. <laughs> um, I like I said, I really liked learning about the data analytics, the database administrator side of it. I worked um, in, in major healthcare systems through their like big transitions from like ICD-9 to ICD-10. And all of that was like really interesting. And then I was like, okay, now I want to go completely switch careers uh, and become a data scientist. And, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's very different. But I, it is one of those things that like um, is really motivating, especially if you are, you know, making a switch from something that you feel passionate about to something you feel more passionate about, um, it can really enable you and, and set you up for success. So I think that's what's been what 
Like that's been the core of it for me is chasing something that I can feel excited about, something that I can feel that sense of accomplishment, like I'm having an impact. Um, And I think there's a lot of cool ways that AI is being adopted right now. And I think there's also a lot of ways that it could be adopted quarterly. Um, Mm -hmm. And so being there and helping in that adoption, ensuring its ethical use, ensuring things like that, um, I I find really uh, invigorating in a way. And so that's what's kept me motivated is feeling like I'm on top of, I'm not always on top of things, don't get me wrong, but like I'm, you know, reading, I'm understanding, I'm helping influence, I'm, you know, trying to make the workplace a better place and and just data science as a whole um, more equitable. And so I think that's been really motivating for me personally. It seems like the secret to your success would be, you know, just loving what you do, finding something that you truly enjoy, something that keeps you, you know, data science is a uh, very easy to do that because it's always changing. There's always new things coming out. And then from there, you're able to, uh, you know, leverage off of that to really drive you and not let anything stand in your way. So I absolutely can agree with that one for sure. Now, she, you mentioned uh, uh, when you were speaking earlier about mentorship, uh, and I'm curious to know a bit about maybe your journey uh, personally, and I'll uh, walk uh, through the other, you know, uh, participants today as well, because uh, we spoke about, you know, mentors, we talk about, you know, sponsorship as well, as well as peer mentorship when we were uh, discussing this topic previously. I'm curious to hear about your journey. And did you have someone that ultimately was able to help provide that type of mentorship or sponsorship uh, to help guide you in your career? That's a really good question, Danny. I think in my early career, when I just came out of school, uh, um, I didn't know I should be looking for a mentorship or a sponsor within the company. I thought I, my understanding was that if I do good work, I should I should be get promoted or that's mm-hmm. how I move up the ladder. And as I grew older, uh, especially get, getting into consulting world, that opens my horizon to understand is, oh, okay, I could grow also by doing this and also looking for a mentor for advice on what else can I do? How can I be better? And how can I um, navigate my career and plan for my career? And that was uh, my, I describe it as a journey for me in my life, learning about what kind of sponsorship or mentor or coach do I want and in what aspects. Michelle and I, we used to work together. She used to be a very good mentor for me and to this day too. And I feel like for me, I, um, that's how I uh, leverage the power of mentorship. And in my recent startup that I, uh, my previous startup that I was in, I also found internal sponsor who was the co-founder of the company. So I built close relationship, shared uh, very openly what I want and what I aspire to be and how I, how I want my career to uh, grow alongside growing the company. So I feel like that type of relationship really helps me to establish my presence, not only amongst my peers, but also in front of the leadership inside. This is where I want and this is how I'm doing it. And I also have a sponsor in the room where I am not going to be present and he will be able mm. to speak to my abilities. So, yep, she has done this before and then I can speak to that. So that's how I um, I leverage mentorship and all those relationships. Absolutely. And I won't ask you how Michelle was as a mentor. I'll just uh, I'll leave it for another topic for another time. Uh But it's amazing to hear, you know, that you kind of were able to take your career into your own hands and just, you know, put yourself in front of those individuals and said, this is what I'm looking for. Can you help? The worst case that someone can say is no. 
you know, uh, but if you don't ask, you don't get. Uh, so that's a, a great takeaway from, you know, what you were sharing with us. Now, Jordan, did you have a mentor as you were switching from, I guess, healthcare, finding data science and then kind of, you know, merging the two of them together? Um, kind of. I actually found a lot of support through the other women in my data science community that were going through school at the same time. Um, because we brought different backgrounds to the table. So my background at the time was like seven years of industry experience with data. Um, but my peers going through the experiment, the process with me, um, brought masters in, in mathematics and stuff like that. And I did, I did not have that. <laughs> and that is helpful for data science. And so, um, it was kind of, I, I'll teach you about the industry and data and how it's used in the real world. And you teach me how math works <laughs> so I can like deeply understand, you know, um, you know, gradient descent and all that fun stuff. Um, so that when I want to go and advise a team, I'm not um, just making it up as I go. So that was that was really helpful. Finding a good peer group, I think, was was really supportive. And then once I got into the industry of data science, um, I, I then found mentors along the way. Um, similar to which you and Michelle talk about here, um, people within within the same company I was in, co-founders who um, kind of took me under their wings and, and saw some kind of potential somewhere and was were willing to bring me along for the experience. Um, and so I think, yeah, it's, it's all about someone who is that, that sponsorship for you. And so that's been one of my goals as I, I've um, gone in my career is then, um, you know, pulling people up the ladder with me, so to speak, you know, making that space in the room for um, people of different backgrounds to, to have a seat at that table then. Absolutely. And I like that you brought up the fact that it doesn't just have to be a boss or someone senior than you. It can be someone at your same level or potentially even junior that you're just on the same journey together. And having and creating that sounding board or that community for yourself can, you know, do a lot for not just your your quality of work, but also your mental health uh, to know that other individuals are feeling and expressing the same kinds of emotions and going through the same uh, feelings for what you are going through in that particular situation. Uh, now, Michelle, I know for a fact you've been a mentor before, so uh, I'm curious to hear about your journey. And, you know, you came from IBM, you know, a, a big organization. Uh, were you able, how did they potentially treat it differently than, you know, the startup environments that you've been a part of? Yeah, good question. Um, but also, first of all, I have to call out this. It's so cool to be on this with she as well. It's our first sort of event together. So Absolutely. Was, Absolutely. This is a really cool experience, by the way. I always told her she's going to be my boss one day. So, <laughs> but, um, so. But yeah, I, I want to build off of what um, Jordan and she were also saying, just like in terms of uh, mentorship can take on a lot of different forms. It's definitely not just within the same company. Like, um, so I have to disclose bias because I'm on the board of women in data. And we also have a lot of mentorship programs, building communities exactly like Jordan described. Like, but, you know, there's mentors that can be experts in industry. It could be a specific field within data science or somewhere in a different part of the stack security, as Sarah mentioned. Like it could be, um, you know, anywhere, but you find a way to help each other um, and learn different things that are complementary. In the startup, what I really appreciate. So in a big organization, I'll just comment that like like IBM or so many others, like it can be easy to feel kind of a bit lost. Right. And you're many, many layers removed from kind of decision makers or um, people that are doing the leading research. And it's, it can be hard to make that connection um, unless you're co-located very close to them. Like there is a little bit of proximity bias there. 
Um, but in the startup world, I think people, it's very flexible. I think they tend to be more flat organizations. Um, and I would encourage people that transition from big tech or big organizations that go to startups to um, really just not be afraid. Because I think you learn that habit of like, oh, I can't reach out to so-and-so. They're a distinguished engineer, like, <laughs> you know. Um, but at the startup, like everyone is on equal footing, especially early stage startups. Um, and so there's no fear to to just reach out, whether that's mentorship or sponsorship that you're looking for. Oh, I love that. Takeaway of the fear. Do not <laughs> do not be afraid to ask any questions. Don't be afraid to ask someone for five minutes. Can I, you know, can I bend your ear for a little bit? Uh, and that's one of the beauties of a smaller en environment. You know, you just everyone's wearing multiple hats, so they can't afford to have any bias. <laughs> you know, uh, everybody needs everyone's help. All hands on deck. Um, thank you very much, Michelle. Now, Sarah, I'm very curious about your journey because you're on the federal side of things. Uh, you know, being the federal CTO. Uh, how was your journey and how did you find, you know, mentorship, uh, whether peer mentorship or sponsorship? I'm curious to hear about what you've experienced and what you think uh, works well. So I think that with um, mentorship, I don't know, maybe because there were so few engineers when I was going up the ranks, I didn't really have a mentor. Um, I didn't have somebody that was a senior technical woman that would help bring me up through the ranks. And so... Um, I had to adapt, and I think it's more along the what we're talking about with peer relationships. And so actually at LaunchDarkly, we have a peer mentoring program, which is really great. So I get to just meet people throughout the company that are my coworkers and colleagues, and you don't have that senior and subordinate type of relationship. It almost makes things better. Uh, you can speak more candidly to one another. And so if you don't even have a mentor like I didn't, uh, just create a mentorship group of, of your own and do peer mentoring. And so really the ultimate goal is to have somebody speak for you when you are not in the room. And that could just be a colleague. It doesn't have to be somebody in a senior role just to know that you know somebody has your back and somebody can support you. And I also highly think that women, when there's so few of us, it does tend to get competitive and that's not the way to go. So I've seen it both ways where um, there is some competition and it really doesn't work out for either person in, in that case. And so th the more I've grown and been in this career, the more I find pleasure just in bringing other people up and seeing them succeed in their careers. And it makes me happier than just having a win on my own. And it really it really just also makes your work much more meaningful. And so I highly encourage you just to, if you start supporting other women, they're gonna support you. And then you will find a mentor, you'll find those um, people that are gonna support you and speak up for you when you're not around. Absolutely, thank you very much for that, Sarah. Now, this is probably my favorite question of the day, uh, which is, you know, what advice would you give your younger self? Now, it doesn't count if you would switch your degree from veterinary medicine to data science or public health to, you know, computer science. But I, I would love to hear, you know, if you could reflect back 10 years ago and what 
bit of advice or what story would you tell yourself to maybe make the transition easier or you know, maybe give you some uh, more resiliency or change your mindset? Uh, I'm very curious uh, to what that would be. I will start with you, Jordan. I think I would tell myself probably two things, which is one, that my gut is more often right than not. That like if I have an intuition about a situation or about a job, it being good or bad, it being beneficial for me in my career, looking back, I think that my intuition was was guiding me in the right direction there um, when I felt good about a career change or I was like, oh, I think I need this change kind of thing. Um, and then two was like, I, I wish almost my younger self didn't take it as seriously as she did. <laughs> um, I, I think it was good. It, it got me to where I'm at right now, for sure. Um, and so I can't discount it altogether. But I think that it, it came at a cost in some situations. Um, and then a cost, might, I think, is net beneficial still. But I think there were times I could have maybe not been uh, as adamant about things or as driven about things and still reached a very similar outcome or the exact same outcome and maybe survived um, not as like had a better time, I think, throughout it than than I did. Um, but it's it's really been wonderful. And so I think just like, yeah, it, believe yourself and, and maybe not take it as seriously, still very seriously, but you can let something slide now and then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, what about you, She? I've been thinking about that as Jordan was talking. Uh, I think a couple things that I would tell my younger self. The first one is start learning about being mindful as early as possible, because that that was my journey um, in starting and going through graduate school. It was very stressful, and I found that very helpful. So I feel like I would tell my younger self, start learning more about mindfulness. Uh, then that will be one of the tools, powerful tools that you'll be able to leverage in the future when you grow up. And the other one is um, continue to learn more about yourself um, because self-aware is really important as uh, we navigate through our career, through our life to learn more about what drive us and what our passions are, where, what do we want to be doing and what kind of industry or products do we want to build. So I feel like having that type of self-aware is really important. So I, those will be the two pieces of advice I will give my younger self. Absolutely. Thank you very much. What about you, Sarah? What would you give your uh, younger self to make things a bit easier for you? Well, I think as I was talking about trying to move up the ladder and move up the ladder quickly, I was very impatient. I was very competitive. Um, you kind of have to be with a, being a woman in engineering. You have to compete and show that you're better than a lot of the people that aren't your classmates, your peers. And so when when things didn't progress as quickly as I wanted, or if I just ended up making lateral moves, I I was really hard on myself. And I think that all looking back, I mean, there was a reason for everything. And it was turned out to be really, really good and really fun, uh, different projects that I got to work on. And um, I might still be developing microprocessors sitting behind a desk 24-7, um, you know, had I not had these other experiences. And so I think that just um, giving yourself a little more patience, a little more grace is, is helpful. Absolutely. Don't have to be so hard on ourselves, right? <laughs> Sometimes a lateral move can be a fantastic opportunity to put you in a space and put you in a trajectory that you potentially never saw coming. Uh, and also, you know, 
we need to take care of ourselves and our own mental health and what we're doing. So it's not just about work and just pushing all of uh, everything at every moment. Thank you very much for that, Sarah. Now, Michelle, uh, what advice would you give uh, to yourself uh, if you could do it again? I think it's so interesting, like how kind of all of us are converge around very similar themes. So actually, when Donnie, when you had asked us to think about this, um, earlier, I had written down something very similar to what everyone has said, actually. And it was like, um, have more fun in the journey than focusing on the outcome. Like, And I think everyone has said it here so well, because I think uh, maybe similar to Sarah, like, uh, you know, I well, I joined when I was 16 at IBM. Most of my peers were males in engineering and twice my age. And of course, I thought I had like this huge chip on my shoulder. Like I, you know, I had to be more technical than them. I had to like get the promotion and like show how women can be um, equally as good. And like in at the end of the day, like I don't know that that was really necessary. <laughs> like in a way, it was in some ways, right? But like because we are, we all got to where we are because of our experiences. But on the other hand, like I kind of wonder if it, there, there's definitely a healthier way to to go about it and still get similar or um, maybe even better outcomes because maybe, you know, you, you've enjoyed the journey and you appreciate your hard work a lot more than, you know, just treating it like a, a grind. Absolutely. Have some fun. Stop and smell the roses every once in a while. You know, reflect. You know, I, I don't know how often you do the she or Jordan, you know, your backgrounds are just so different. Do you ever think about where your life could have been if you're a vet right now or if you're in public health? You know, or if you were making chips there, you know, um, I know, Michelle, you're a jack of all trades. So you could be, you know, uh, a musician, you could be an artist. There's a few things you might have had on the go that could have worked. Uh, but it is very nice to sit back and reflect and appreciate, you know, how far you've come and what you've been able to do with, you know, uh, what you were given. Now, this is a, a question to kind of stir the pot a little bit. I'm curious if you have uh, any ways or advice. You know, uh, we have some founders on the call with us today. How are you thinking about your organization and ensuring that people from all kinds of backgrounds get a fair opportunity to grow, succeed, and thrive uh, in these environments that you're creating? Um, so I will start with... Let's go with Michelle. I'll go back with you because uh, I, I liked what you said and you kind of cheated because you said everybody else already stole what you said. <laughs> Not at all. I just think it's, it, it must, you know, it's just something that's really important. <laughs> uh, if we're all retrospecting on this. Um, yeah. And in terms of uh, diversity and like how you want to build a different kind of company, I, I think it is really hard. And and just to point out too, like another statistic I recently read was something like, I think less than 2% of all VC funding goes to um, female founders and female founded uh, startups. So, and I think if it's a mixed founding team, like w one female and then however many men, it goes up to something like 30 or 40%. So it's a pretty um, drastic difference than just the, the female by herself. So, um, I think for us, like one of the things I'm thinking about, of course, there's um, diversity in terms of like thought and th there's lots of aspects of diversity. Um, but one to think about is even if it takes uh, more time, I think conscious recruiting, like like really, and also conscious, um, I don't know, interviewing of VCs as well. So like when you're talking, like I think it goes both ways, employers and also funding. Um, because not all VCs um, share the same values as you do. And also similarly, like when you're hiring a team, especially in the early stage startup or like, let's say pre-series B, um, you really need to be 
thinking about, you know, those core members, they define the culture a lot. Um, and it can take a longer time to find that right kind of person, um, regardless of gender or background. Uh, and it's worth taking that time, though. And if that means getting help, right, through talking to recruiters or like talking to a bigger network or going to different meetups where you can find those people, um, it's worth it. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that, Michelle. Uh, she, what about yourself as you are putting the roadmap together? Yeah, I I definitely have to echo what Michelle just shared too. I feel like starting from day zero is super important. I remember uh, as I was talking to Deepak, my partner and the CEO of Sunrise AI, we shared we had a lot of discussion on what our core values are and what do we want the ultimate products to be. And we come to a, um, an, a consensus that we all want to build a product that had positive social impact. And we also want to have a diverse team in, in our company, starting from day zero. I, I quote what he told me is that our, our CTO is a woman and you're a minority. So we started from day zero. This how uh, important we see DEI initiative is. And um, also when it comes to looking for VCs uh, to work with, also we um, talk a lot about how do we want to select the VC that we want to work with? Do, do they want, do we want them to share similar values as we do? So I feel like um, being a founder, those are super important because that definitely set the foundation and the tone for how the culture and the core values of the company when the company continues to grow and scale. Absolutely. Sounds very exciting, Chi. <laughs> now, Jordan, as being a part of a, a pre-Series A startup, how are you, uh, I guess, working to ensure that uh, it's the culture you would love to be a part of? <laughs> yeah, I think we, so I, I am part of our exec team too, and we put a lot of thought into how, um, how we want to recruit, who we hire, um, our internship programs, who we're enabling and giving that space to and stuff. I think it's all to what everyone said. It, you, you just have to actually be mindful of it. You have to give it that extra thought um, and and really seek it out in a way and create that space like we've said. Um, I'm, I'm definitely interested in continuing to advocate for it. It's definitely still not perfect. Um, one of the largest areas that I think is an afterthought afterthought at pre-series A that we're having to actually go through right now is like maternity leave and things like that. Um, you never really quite get your HR house in order uh, until it's time to get your HR house in order. Um, and so getting putting that a higher priority, making sure that that is enabled, because I think when that system is set up, you'll just naturally attract a more diverse crowd versus them having to come in and advocate for that to be created. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we're a startup mode as well at Evolution. So, you know, we don't have an office manager, we don't have an HR manager, but we talk a lot about values. We talk a lot about what makes, you know, a great recruiter in that sense and making sure that we, you know, have individuals from a variety of different backgrounds just to create that culture that everyone is represented. And most importantly, everyone's bringing something to the table so the collective can grow uh, you know, as one unit. Uh, now, Sarah, uh, how about yourself? How are you, I guess, uh, influencing your organization and trying to, you know, make sure that it is more diverse and uh, friendly? Well, I'm proud to say that we have a growing federal sales team and everyone on it is a woman except for one person. So um, how many of those, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so we're quite proud of that. Uh, we are a little bit more mature of a startup, and I know that we make an effort to interview all types of people. Um, 
not just uh, looking at gender, but a whole bunch of other uh, factors as well to make it a, a very diverse company. And we're very open about that. And I think, you know, even from the standpoint of making sure that we have the right representation for the interviews themselves. So that a candidate would never come in and just be interviewed by all men, for example. And so that that's key uh, and important to us, the culture. And you don't get away with having the culture fit interview be a woman, right? And everybody else, the technical ones being a man. So, you know, we, we even know that and we do that right. So that's good. Um, but I can tell you a story uh, way back in the 90s um, when I was just an intern. So I did intern with Intel before I ended up working for them permanently. And we had a chance to have a lunch with um that I won't name her name, but it was a woman and she ran HR for all of Intel. And it was just like, you know, in the boom of the 90s, you know, a great time or whatever. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm, it's so great. Here I am having lunch with this person with a small group of um, other interns and uh, diversity came up. And I and I made the comment that, um, y- you know, that that I wish that there was more interaction with Intel and, and trying to bring women on board. And she was very uh, kind of offended. And people were like kicking me under the table, like, you know, be quiet. And, um, and, and really what I saw, though, from being a student was that big companies that are like IBM, for example, they had a recruiter that was there full time that would focus on bringing the right candidates. So it was not at all about lowering standards, but it was finding and getting the right people first before anybody else did. Right. And so I, I just remember that because that was one company that was doing it right. And then I did hear the woman talk after um, a year or so that she, she had rethought the, um, the, the standards issue. Um, I, I like to think it was maybe a conversation with me at lunch one day. I, I'll never know. Um, but there's certainly there's certainly enough women and um, you know and others out there that you just have to find. And like going back to what Michelle started with, just take your time, and you will find the right people. And you don't have to ever think that you have to lower standards at all. The, the right people and the bright people are out there of all types. Absolutely. Uh, speaking to someone f- uh, from a recruitment background, I love hearing you say that because that's a part of what we do. My job is to go out and speak and find those individuals, partner with them and help them find amazing homes where they can you know, have an amazing, fruitful career. And it takes a lot of time. You know, I'm speaking to almost seven to 10 people every single day to build that network and sift through the individuals that do meet the standard, like you said, but also uh, potentially because of who they are, where they come from, are not getting the fair shake. Uh, that is, you know, the individuals that we try to really uh, push to the forefront and make sure they get that light. But it's amazing. I, it's crazy to think, you know, you said 90s. And I, I kept on remembering as you were telling that story, there was the 90s and they were talking about diversity. And here we are in 2023, still talking about the same topics, the same, uh, you know, I probably the exact same open forum that you had previously. Um, it is a quite shocking and it's humbling, you know, uh, to hear that. But 
you know, as, you know, individuals such as yourself, keep on growing, you know, in your careers, start making sure that it is not going to be something that is going to be stopped talking about being talked about until it is 50 50. It is as close as humanly possible in some situations, even pushed to the right a little bit. Uh, I really love that story. So thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, now, uh, the last question that we'll have uh, before we wrap things up today is, uh, I'm sure reflecting back on your journey, there might be a story or an incident uh, that, you know, probably uh, shaped the course of your career in regards to potential roadblocks. You know, were the, was there a situation you came across where you potentially thought this is is this because I'm a woman? Is he reacting this way? Or is this person reacting this way because of who I am and who they're looking at right now? Uh, and the reason I ask this is because there are other individuals going through the same thing. Uh, there are other individuals that are uh, maybe not getting a fair shake or not being, uh, I guess, uh, thoroughly appreciated for what they do. And, and in most cases, speaking to candidates, that's the number one that they say, why are you looking out? I'm not happy at work. My boss, I'm not getting along with. Uh, I just don't feel like this is the place where I, I've hit my ceiling and I want to, you know, continue to grow. Um, so I'll bring this to you, Jordan, first. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually wanted to hit on kind of two things too. Um, I wanted to just say to like everyone out there that, might be like fighting for something or trying to achieve something. I think for a lot of women, there's a lot of imposter syndrome. Uh, I think it's one of those things that get talked about a lot. But like, I felt it real time on this call. Like Michelle's introducing herself. She didn't graduate high school. She like helped with IBM Watson. And I'm like, uh, do you size boot camp graduate? You know, like, and it's like, but that's like, that's not the world we live in. Like, and then that's a, a voice in my head that I'm, I'm fighting hard against. That's like, no, I do. I am part of this panel. I do belong here kind of thing. And so um, I think for all of the women that are out there fighting that same fight, just just keep on fighting it because the voice in your head's wrong, <laughs> honestly, about that one. Um, but back to your original question, can you just remind me of it again? Really yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What were some uh, a particular roadblock or a situation? Yes. Okay. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. That was it. Yeah. I think that's the other thing, too, is I could think of so, some big ones here and there, but they're also they're kind of like that unconscious bias that actually kicks in way more. Um, and and I think I feel it at a visceral level, especially younger in my career, when um, we didn't have cameras on as much. And I would be on a lot of WebEx calls and with a name like Jordan, um, people would kind of assume gender when I like came in um, and they just saw it and they didn't know me. And then I remember one time I got called and they're like, let's ask Jordan his opinion. And then I had to like unmute and I very obviously do not have a male voice uh, <laughs> and things like that. And so it's like, it's just little things like that. I noticed how they would treat me differently in email correspondence if they thought I was Jordan, the man IT professional versus Jordan, the woman IT professional. It was, it was like, just, it was just noticeable enough where I was just like, that's interesting. You know, no, no huge things here and there. I think like even over the course of my career, and I'm interested in what Sarah says about this, I, I think it's become leaps and bounds better than it was like when I started in 2010. Um, and, and I think it will only continue going that way as we have more awesome women in leadership. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Jordan. How about you, she? I'll have to say my name would not in, have any indication of we don't know how that's up now or female, uh, which is uh, great. I, I think uh, through, in my experience, I don't have any um, experience that explicitly shows me that, yeah, it's because of gender bias. But just one instance that I remember was that I was um, communicating the ML solution that I came up was talking to the director of engineering, how we should structure 
the solution and uh, what do we need to bring in? And I remember one of the questions that he asked me, it says, so can we make this prediction without the actual data that the, the model needs to learn? Say, it, it would really, if we were to predict the temperature of the weather, can we use non-weather related data to make the prediction? So I said, no, that does not work. That's in violation of first principle. And I was told that I need to prove to that, prove to this director that my, my answer is correct. So I felt like at that moment, I didn't directly go to the conclusion. Yeah, it probably was because I was a woman, but I felt like I would, I wonder if I was a man, would my answer be taken differently? Would I still be asked to prove that, prove my points with actual evidence? So that was just one of the instances that jumped to my mind when you asked that question. Well, thank you very much for sharing, Xi. Uh, what about yourself, Michelle? Uh, which one? <laughs> which one? <laughs> I was wondering. I saw that. I saw your There's face. So I said all of these we were discussing. I was like, oh, this might be good. Yeah, I don't know. There's just so many. Oh, gosh. Um, I agree with Jordan that I think it's getting better. Like that when I first started, like, I don't know, what was it 2002 or so? And I feel you know, so. Um, so I will say I think it's getting better. But um, I don't know. Gosh, there's so many different incidents. Like, I think. Um, specific to gender bias like I just remember um I think there's a, a bias or a stereotype that women are are not technical or that women cannot be as technical as men um and I think you probably saw this like uh I forget there was like a google memo that was leaked like I think you've seen this like in the modern day where there are people in leadership positions that have this way of thinking that for whatever reason, we just can't seem to think logically. I don't know why they believe this, but um, but I remember like a specific incident also, for example, when I was at IBM and working in R&D and we had to do a lot of peer code reviews, et cetera. And uh, like literally just my peers would tell me all the time that like, well, Michelle, you're just not technical enough. Like, oh, you just, you, you're not able to do this or like your code is, isn't as good as so-and-so, even though like they had the same amount of reviews or types of errors. And so um, in those situations, I found it helpful, like at least in a, in a thing like a code review, you can um, collect data about that and you just kind of make an objective case that like, you know, is that really performance-based feedback or is that Mm. because you may have a bias but yeah i would say that's one that i've encountered a lot thank you very much michelle now just like jordan i'm very eager to hear your thoughts on this sarah uh if you can uh, maybe share uh something that you've experienced throughout your uh, days well i think i've been to so many conferences now where i'm the one doing a demo and i get this dump the chump person coming up right and they'll ask a really hard question and then Sometimes I'll pause the demo and I'll say, ah, let's go look at the code. And then they look back and they go, well, I thought you were a marketing person. <laughs> so I don't know. I've heard that so many times. I just come to expect it uh, by now. So it's, that's just kind of funny. I, I would say that I think things are improving over the years, but I think that also it's just a little bit um, less direct so I, I still, th I, I don't think that like somebody will say, oh, let's not hire her or promote her because she's a woman. But what I do see still these days, especially as you go up in ranks in an organization, is that there's still this like kind of old boys networking 
kind of network and they just feel more comfortable maybe bringing in a friend or somebody that they worked with in the past over promoting from within. Um, you know, they might be playing golf with their buddies, you know, on the, in the weekend. And so they have their own informal channels that they still tend to pull from and, and not really making a conscious effort to work with women or promote women. So it's, it's more subtle, but I think it's mm. us these days. Well, thank you so much for that, Sarah. There was a story that I was told when I was uh, doing the the podcast uh, qualification calls, and she couldn't make this one, which I really wish she could have. Uh, there was a story that she told me about her early days in a big uh, tech, uh, tech firm that is one of the largest players in the globe now. And she was the only software engineer in her team. And every single time a meeting was held, they would all look back at her and ask her for her if she would take notes. Um, and she said that still happens, uh, probably as of maybe five, six years ago, she would still get this kind of reaction, uh, you know, while walking into a room, uh, and there's still not that many other, you know, female faces around in the teams. And that really resonated with me. Uh, just the fact that that was the assumption and, uh, the fact that, you know, things are getting better is very good, but I think we have a lot to still do and still much more to accomplish. And I really hope that the age of the startup and these big tech firms and all of the layoffs, the ripple effect from that will be a lot of well-run, smaller organizations that really give some fantastic opportunities to no matter who you are. Just as long as you can do the job, do it well, be a great member of the team. And then from there, that's where that true collaboration can really, you know, take over. Um, now, I think that's a good place to leave the discussion for today. Uh, but before we end the podcast, I always like to go around the room and get some key learns or takeaways that you have from the conversation today. Uh, Sarah, would you uh, start us off, please? Yeah, I think just a reminder to um, have more grace and um you know, not be so stressed and and take it one day at a time and enjoy the the journey. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. What about you, She? My takeaway is also enjoy the journey and take along other women with me. Absolutely. And then Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. My my biggest thing for the listeners is to use your network. Like we said, lean on your peers, find find your mentor. There's a lot of great resources out there for you to use. Um, I think I heard someone say it earlier on the call, like Every woman I know in leadership is really excited to bring other minorities into leadership with us. Um, like we said, no matter the background, all those things. So I think that if you're excited to be mentored, I, like I'm excited to mentor, you know? And so um, use your network, reach out and, and lean on the support system you do have. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And uh, lastly, Michelle? Uh, I guess I'll end on, hey, we're here for you. I mean, like whether that's literally us on the call, but also women in general and um, our allies. I mean, Donnie, like th having this podcast even is even it's just um, so meaningful. And I think as more people hear about different people's journeys, et cetera, like it's yeah, you're not alone. Absolutely. And also from a recruitment perspective, we are trying to find you, reach out to us, let us help you. And uh, together, we're really going to be able to accomplish something great. Thanks for sharing. And we'll leave it there for today. This has been the Evolution Exchange USA podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Sarah, she, Jordan, and Michelle for sharing their insights and thoughts today. We hope you can join us next time on the Evolution Exchange podcast. If you are looking for mentorship or interested in being a mentor, Women in Data is a nonprofit organization with a mission to increase diversity in data careers. 
They are a global community with local chapters around the world, full of data enthusiasts of all backgrounds and levels. Being a member provides access to educational programs and content, mentorship, executive leadership forums, networking, and more. For companies interested in sponsoring, they also offer partnership packages to support diversity and data. If you are hiring for data scientists and looking for a new opportunity, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Data Science Donnie, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at donnie.mcclary at evolutionjobs.us or visit us at evolutionjobs.us. Thanks again to all of our guests, and thank you for listening.